If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. What is the most painful thing that stops you from leaving those situations, from breaking that pattern? What is it? For most of us, it's, I don't believe I'm worthy. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. The meaning and the weight of the word home evolved for almost all of us last year. Home became not only where we live, but our workplace, our sanctuary, and hopefully our safety in a world that felt unstable. For Najwa Zabian, moving to a new country at the age of 16, she felt unstable and adrift in an unfamiliar place. Home was something she learned to build within herself. You've actually heard from Najwa on the Gold Digger podcast before, way back in 2017 when the show was just getting started. Now, as we approach the 500th episode of Gold Digger, I feel so honored for the opportunity to speak with Najwa again. She's here to explore the personal transformation that comes with building a home within yourself. This is a conversation about deep self-acceptance and exploration and through that journey, healing. Welcome back, Najwa Zabian. Najwa, I am so excited to have you back on the show. It's crazy because you were one of my first guests back in 2017. So welcome back to the Gold Digger podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, feels like it's been two minutes, but at the same time, it feels like it's been 10 years. (laughs) Isn't it crazy? I was telling Drew today that I got to interview you again because we both saw you speak on Lewis Howe's stage all those years ago. And he was just so excited that we got to reconnect. And and I think, man, like as we approach our 500th episode to get to hear kind of this transformation in this journey that you've personally been on, I'm like... Like, so excited I'm at the edge of my seat. <laughs> so am I. I just 
I feel like so much has happened. Not feel like I know so much has happened. So I'm excited (laughs) to discuss it all with you. I think I was telling you right before we started talking that I remember exactly where I was sitting the day that we had that interview. And I remember what kind of state I was in. Yeah. Um, And we were discussing the nectar of pain. We were discussing these mountains that you are carrying, you're only supposed to climb. And we talked yes. about like how that came about. And yeah, so since now then, we get to continue this journey. Yes. <laughs> uh, so for those who haven't gone all the way back in the archives to the very beginning, I think we should just start with a little bit of your story because mm-hmm. your story is so much a part of what picture we see painted today. And your story is one that is unforgettable. And so can you just tell me just a little bit about who you are and this journey you've been on mm-hmm. in life? Yeah, so I would say my story is the story of search for a home from a very young age. That's the best way to describe it. I could tell you I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm an educator, I'm an activist, but those words only reflect that journey that I've been on since I was really young. So I was born and raised in Lebanon, the youngest of six in my family and the youngest by many years. And from a very young age, I had this feeling that I believe most of us have, but we just, as children, we don't know how to put words to it. But I think specifically because of the way that I was raised and where I was raised and being surrounded by adults and being the sensitive person that I still am to this day, I struggled a lot with not feeling like I had a consistent sense of home, a place to go to where I could just be myself completely. I remember clearly as a child thinking, you know, I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my mom. I want to be like my older siblings. Like my oldest sister got married when she was 19. I would have been like three or four at that time. And I'm like, I want to be like her. I want to get married and have kids. And my other sister went to university and got a degree in science. And I'm like, I want to be like her. And, you know, my brothers came back to Canada after they turned 18, and they wanted to pursue engineering. And I'm like, I want to be like them. So I, I constantly looked at everyone around me saying, when I am like them, like them, then I will be okay. Like maybe this feeling of, you know, I'm missing something will come once I reach those points in my life that they've reached. And what that meant was, you know, I I never gave words to, I never vocalized the way that I was feeling because I always thought that would make me ungrateful or too sensitive or immature because I was trying to be an adult from such a young age. And so I just kept it in. And I thought that feeling of I'm out of place, I don't fit in, I have no one that cares about me is just one that will go away with time. It's a wrong way to live. It's a wrong way to think. And, you know, I was bullied in school at the time. I've had the same mentality. Don't talk about it because if you do, you're going to be perceived as ungrateful, immature, blah, blah, blah. So I I just, I remember those years were very quiet for me. I was just observing everyone around me. And also at that time, my parents were traveling back and forth between Lebanon and Canada which meant that I lived with several relatives. And that physical displacement that I felt 
probably not as bad as the, you know, emotional displacement that I felt, you know, feeling out of place, even when you're home, feeling like you're not home, even when you are home. The physical displacement really fed that emotional alienation, emotional starvation, maybe is a better way to say it. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I'd come home at the end of the day and it was just home was, you know, a physical shelter and food on my table. And I was grateful for that. But home wasn't a place where someone would say, how was your day? Did someone say something to you at school? How are you feeling? What's going on inside? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I care about you. Or there was the... How do I describe it? The funny thing is I'm an author. Like I use words, but when it comes to describing things like like this, it's hard to put it into words. It's like you're existing and that's it. You're not living. You're not, you don't feel the ups and downs and emotions of life. It's more like you're constantly emotionally speaking. You're constantly in the negatives. Like, and so you don't really know that there could be positives, but you know that there's something that's missing. You're just feeling down all the time. So the first time in my life that I actually felt seen and heard was when I was 13 and my friend gifted me a handmade journal and I started writing in it. And I remember like when I started writing, it was the first time that I felt, oh, I could talk about what I'm going through and there's no one making me feel like I'm sensitive or ungrateful or something's wrong with me. There's no judgment there. So my journal in a way became my home and it would go with me wherever I went. I had it in my backpack. My home was in my backpack. It was the place where I was welcomed as I am. But I didn't know that as a 13 year old, you don't know that. Fast forward three years, I moved to Canada because after visiting my family that summer, the war broke out in Lebanon. And so, you know, I had to make that decision to stay here because it was, you know, grade 12, right before university. So it was a critical year. And that just made me further feel like that idea of home that, you know, and at the time I didn't call it home it just whatever that safety, that emotional safety, that emotional welcoming, nurturing, all of that became so much more and more for like further away from me. And I just didn't want to feel it anymore. And I talked about this in that very first TEDx talk, Finding Home Through Poetry, that actually led to the birth of Welcome Home, my fourth book, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. And, and that would have been like five years ago when I talked about it. I started to live my life in black and white because I didn't want to feel anything because feeling the pain of displacement and the pain of wanting that, like, I love you, I care about you, you matter to me, wanting that just from anyone became so exaggerated and there was no solution for it. It's like you're constantly punching a wall and you're hurting your fist, but the wall Mm. is still there. So I didn't want to try anymore. So I kind of surrendered and just stopped writing altogether. And for about seven years, I didn't write. And then I pursued teaching. But during those years, for anyone listening, because I think this is important, during those years, what that emotional numbness and closing myself off the feeling meant was that I had no idea who I was. I defined myself by what those around me saw. So for example, 
my parents wanted me to do science in university. I hated science. And I applied to the program and I also applied to a literature program and I got accepted into it. I think it was like a social sciences under the social sciences program. And I got accepted into that, but I took the offer of science because that's what my parents wanted. So I, I defined that future happiness or the potential of future happiness through what those around me told me or said, you know, that's the promise of happiness. If you go down this path, you'll find happiness. So I just followed, even in my friendships, I was never the friend that was, you know, put as a priority. And I accepted that because I didn't, again, I didn't know who I was, which meant I didn't know what my value was, which meant I accepted whatever people gave me, which unfortunately, in hindsight, turned out to be, you know, scraps of love, scraps of attention, scraps of, you know, prioritizing me. And if you define yourself by what the world gives you, then you put yourself at the risk of defining yourself as very small, very mm -hmm. worthless, or worth only like a fraction of what you're actually worth. And when you haven't tasted what more feels like, you literally can't even envision getting it or, or you just, you know, when you talk to someone, they're telling you about their relationship. And from your point of view, you're like, Oh, my God, that's so abusive. And the person is speaking to you as if it's normal. Mm -hmm. It's like, tell yourself for that one moment where you're thinking like, this is so abnormal, this is so abusive, that perhaps that person has never experienced more than that doesn't even know that there is another option. And that's their normal, that's their familiar. It's the same thing with our worth with our value when we've accepted so little for so long, and when we see ourselves through the eyes of others, we see that value through their eyes and define that value through their eyes. And that's what I did during those seven years that I wasn't writing. And it was only when I asked myself, you know, what, what are some of the things that you actually enjoy doing after I graduated from my science degree? Because I, I didn't want to continue in science, but I needed to get a job. And so you know, helping people. There was the times when I was sitting with students in the library and helping them understand certain concepts that I felt mostly nourished. So teaching was the perfect, you know, occupation. And once I went into teaching and started seeing school, not as school, but more as, you know, breathing, like I'm actually excited about being here. I'm actually excited about learning. That's when I started that journey of coming back to myself. And, you know, when I graduated and became a teacher and saw my young students, actually the very first group of young students that I was assigned, the first day that they walked in with the principal, he said, these are your responsibility. And these kids had arrived from a war-torn country and wow. they were looking at me like I will never I just like I remember where I was sitting when we did the last yes. interview. I remember where we were standing in the school when the principal walked in with them and just the way that they were looking at me. I looked at them and immediately saw the same feeling in their eyes that I felt as that 16 year old who arrived here in Canada 
and, you know, had to stay here for so long afterwards. And it was just that, that feeling of, it was like a shout that was like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't fit in here. I don't want to be here. And there was something within me that just, I wanted to help them. I wanted to help raise them up. I wanted to tell them you do belong here. There is a place for you here. You don't have to fight for it. Like, don't see yourself through the eyes of everyone around you because you know what? Most of them are going to treat you like you're an outsider. I really wanted to save them from everything that I wished someone saved me from as a 16-year-old. And that's what got me back into writing. I started writing about education and how I believed it needed to be, how I believed we needed to look at students as humans, how we needed that element of empathy in education where we genuinely look at these beings in front of us, not as numbers, but as as stories, as as more than that, you know? So I began with that and and that the rest is history. Those mm-hmm. writings were the first collection of writings that I put out into the world and my first book, Mind Platter, which was self-published. There was no like team behind it that was pushing it. There was and and of my three books, Mind Platter is still the best selling book of all three. Yeah. Since that day, even though I was self-published for a good two years before I got a publishing deal, I was approached by a publisher and they said, you know, we'll republish it for you. But even before that, it was a bestseller and it still is. And I don't say that to say like, oh, it's selling so much and I'm making so much money. That's not the point. The point is the raw feel and the real, everything about it that's just so accurately and vulnerably written still hits people's hearts to this day because, and I, I genuinely believe it's because it came from a place of wanting to heal those around me as I was healing myself. And what that required was being so honest with myself and with everyone around me about what that pain looked like, about what the struggle looked like. And since that day that I, you know, put Mind Platter out into the world and people started reading my writings and I felt so much less alone the community that was so small that was around me turned into the whole world. And, and I I just I can't stop writing, I can't stop Mm -hmm. talking about those things. I can't stop growing as a person, because the reward of that both internally, and to see it helping so many people out there is not something I can equate with anything. So Mm -hmm. to bring you from that point to the point where I am now where you know, I've written my fourth book, and it's all about building a home within yourself. It's because that whole journey, including writing my three books, was a journey of coming home to myself. And it took me that many years to a realize that the biggest mistake I had made throughout my life was building my home and other people, as opposed to building that home within myself. And what that really means is when you build your home in other people, it means that your emotional safety, your 
definition of who you are, your definition of what you deserve, the validation that you get is all based. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm saying this, even though I literally wrote a whole book about it, is all based outside of you. It's all based on a person liking you. It's all based on a program in university or college accepting you. It's all based on your family telling you, I'm proud of you. It's all based on that one person that you love so much, loving you and giving you what you need. That's what you do when you build your home and other people. But when you come home to yourself and the painful thing is realizing like, I don't have a home within myself. Where do I go? You know, and that's, I talked about that in Welcome Home with myself, where I was like, I knew everything there was. Like after writing Mind Platter, The Nectar of Pain, Sparks of Phoenix, I was really strong. I knew so much about what love looked like, what respect looked like, what forgiveness looked like. But when it came to my own life, I found myself behaving in ways that didn't reflect all of that knowledge. Like when I would be sitting with a friend who's talking to me about a relationship that she's going through. I could give her solid advice, like, you know, this is a red flag, you should not accept this. But when it came to my own life, I felt like I gave people excuses, because I'm like, you know, I understand, I'm different, I know more. But that's not the truth. The truth was that I didn't build that home within myself. I had all the elements, but I didn't build it. So what that meant, upon further contemplation and reflection, was that I had to ask myself, what brings those elements together, the elements of a home, all the, all the things that you know about yourself, about self-love, about forgiveness, about clarity, about compassion, about surrendering to your emotions, what brings them together? Like, and then I was like, okay, well, let's think of a house, rooms, think of rooms. Is it enough to just have rooms floating in the air? No, they need something that brings them together. That's what makes it a house. That's what makes it a home is the togetherness of it. And what brings it together? It's that solid foundation. And what's that solid foundation made of? It's made of you accepting yourself and you being aware of who you are. So it's self-acceptance and self-awareness. That's the foundation that has to come beneath everything else that you know, all that knowledge about yourself and about the world that you know, once you are aware of who you are, what made you who you are, what brought you to this point in your life? And once you're able to say, I accept myself as I am right now, and I accept the past that brought me here without judgment, without resentment, whether it's towards myself or towards others. In this moment right now, I am aware of my emotions and my thoughts and I accept them and I accept myself. Once you come from that place, everything else that's sitting on that foundation can never, ever, ever be placed in someone else. So another beautiful analogy would be, you know, when you see, say, for example, you love someone so much, you've been in a relationship for a long time, and things aren't working out. And you just feel like you don't really know how to love yourself. Well, is it possible that you've placed that room that you have within you 
that room of love? Is it possible that because you don't have that strong foundation of accepting yourself and being aware of your thoughts and emotions and all of that, is it possible that because of the lack of that foundation, you've placed it over someone else's foundation in someone else's home? They're the ones who've decorated it. They're the ones who furnished it. They're the ones who tell you when you can enter and when you can leave it. Perhaps that's the case. Once you bring that place of love, that primary place of love that you go to, and you place it within yourself, you don't need someone else's land to, you know, mm. camp with that room on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I had to ask myself all these questions like that is what building a home within yourself means. It is practical. Yes, it's inspirational. It's beautiful. It's, but when you think about it in those terms, the moment you catch yourself seeing yourself through someone else's eyes under their roof, you can quickly snap yourself back and say, wait a minute. I'm not coming from a place of being at home with myself. I'm coming from a place of being homeless, seeking rent or seeking whatever it is in someone else's home. And I can stop doing that. And and that process of continual awareness and acceptance and awareness and acceptance and coming back to yourself over and over, that's where your home becomes your permanent residence, not Mm -hmm. just not your plan B, plan C, plan... No, home is your plan A. Home is the place that you come to before you go to anyone else. That was a really long answer. (laughs) No, that was so powerful. And I think what's so beautiful too is, is especially looking at this past year, you know, our definition of home changed in so many ways, right? Like mm-hmm. home became the place where everything lives and where hopefully we can feel safe and where relationships and work and like everything intersects. And I mean, to think about the timing of this book and the notion and this idea, I mean, there's never been a better time for this. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. 
Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. You know, what would you say, Najwa, to someone who's like, you know, I've, (laughs) I'm living in someone else's life or someone else's acceptance, or, you know, I'm letting the noise of the world tell me what to build next or where, where home Mm -hmm. is. Like, how do you quiet all of that to start to have the self-awareness that you talk about? So that's a beautiful question. And I talk about it in one of the chapters in the book, which is the road to home. So before you get to the place where you're like, okay, I'm ready to build a home within myself, because that doesn't happen right away, right? I, I just told you, I spent years coming to the realization that I needed to build a home. Within I feel like myself. it's going to be a lifelong journey, right? We're all constantly rebuilding and renovating. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, the very last chapter of Welcome Home, which is adapting to this new reality of of having a home within you, there is this anticipation that just like you would renovate your home, just like, you know, one day you wake up and you're like, I'm going to paint this room. I'm going to clean this room out. I'm going to remove some things. I'm going to bring in some new things. You do that with your home as well. You don't just get to that point and you're like, that's it. I'm done. It's kind of like being present. You can't be present 24 hours a day. It's impossible. Your presence is a continuous process of catching yourself in the past or in the future and saying, come back to the present. It's the same thing with your home, right? So the road to home begins with you being honest with yourself about where you are now. Just like when I walk into a classroom and I want to teach my students a concept, I don't just start teaching them based on where I think they are. I do an assessment and I figure out where each one of them is. So you have to be honest with yourself on where you are. Are you living in someone else's home? Have you spent your whole life defining yourself through other people's eyes? Ask yourself these questions and figure out what is the most painful thing that stops you from leaving those situations, from breaking that pattern. What is it? For most of us, it's, I don't believe I'm worthy. And I think that if I leave or if they've already emotionally abandoned me in some way, then that must mean 
that that ending that I've always, always experienced from a young age, which tells me that I'm not worthy, is going to happen again. And I don't want it to happen again, because if it happens again, then it proves to me what I already believe about myself, which is I am not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of belonging. I'm not worthy of good things happening to me. I'm not whatever that worth that you have been conditioned to believe you don't have. It's like there's a concept in Welcome Home where, and I actually have a visual there where I say, the ending of one story doesn't have to be your ending. But the fear that comes with believing that that one story ending, whatever it is, a relationship, a friendship, a, a, you know, a family relationship, the ending of that one story, just because it resembles all the other endings in your life, don't use that one ending and say, I'm going to change that ending so that all the other ones, you know, aren't confirmed for me anymore. Yeah. You don't use that ending. What you use is go back to the root, the very first time in your life where something or someone made you feel or told you that you don't deserve that, whatever it is, home, belonging, love, kindness, compassion, whatever it is that, that they made you believe you don't deserve. Go back to that story. Sit with that child and tell them, I'm sorry that you started believing this belief that far back. And I'm sorry that every single story after this one incident has confirmed that same belief for you. But what we're going to do is take that road block, because if you're imagining the road to your home and the road, what's standing in the way of you building a home within yourself are these roadblocks, those beliefs that you started, you know, being conditioned to believe, take them from roadblocks break them down and make them the road bricks that will Mm. lead you to that land where you're going to build your home. So it's a process of, again, coming to that point of accepting where you are, like fully, just be honest with yourself. As ugly as that truth is, you know, a lot of times we don't want to walk away from wrong situations because if we walk away from them, then we have to You know, we have to sit with ourselves and say, oh my, how did I accept this for so long? Like we have to take responsibility. And so a lot of the times we just don't want to do that. But be honest with yourself and say, you know what? I need to forgive myself for that. Instead of saying, I'm going to continue falling into the same pattern just so that I could avoid feeling what I need to feel so that I could leave that situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think too, so many people, when we look at this last year, actually were given the opportunity to get quiet with themselves. You know, the world pauses and everything is kind of changed and the uncertainty is felt among everyone. And and we start to ask ourselves those bigger questions. And I think too, it just reveals a lot of the things that the busyness can hide for so long, right? Like Mm -hmm. always being in motion makes us never really stay still enough to really approach those feelings. What was it like for you navigating this past year, writing this book, really landing on this idea of coming home and, and what that looks like? How was that for you? 
So I actually enjoyed (laughs) being able to be just secluded from the world because I am extremely sensitive to, to sound, to emotions, to, you know, I'm an empath, probably like on way at that one of the extremes, you know, of being a sponge for people's emotions. So if I'm in a room full of people, I feel depleted, even if I don't say anything. So this year gave me the space to just be with myself and allow myself to, you know, conserve and not only conserve my energy, but also uh, put it forth to fuel the future for myself, which was by writing Welcome Home. I I would spend all day, every day writing and and working on it, writing and rewriting and changing things and reflecting. And, and, you know, it wasn't always easy not having connection with people. But (sighs) once you come to that place of fully fully feeling on the inside, like I would rather be lonely when I'm alone than be lonely when I'm around people. Like once you truly, because I know that's circulated and people are like, oh, that's beautiful. But once you really feel it on the inside, that if you feel like there's this pull towards being by yourself so that you could understand why that loneliness exists and what you need to do so that you don't feel lonely while you're alone you know so that you don't feel like you don't want your own company because once you understand that then understanding why you feel lonely around others makes sense and it also it also helps you understand why you've been distracting yourself from that loneliness by being around people, by just filling your time. The distraction of just spending time around people while feeling so emotionally malnourished, that's a very bad addiction that people have. And and it's a very bad display to the world that's like, you know, I'm living a fun life. I have lots of friends and I I spend time doing this and doing that. But what about your relationship with yourself? So, you know, for the first time in a very long time, I was given the opportunity to live that relationship with myself. And, and it just so happened to be at the time that I was writing Welcome Home. And it was the most beautiful thing, because I was really vulnerable in this book. And not in a way that's like, you know, I'm being vulnerable. I'm brave. I'm this. No, no, no. Like, yes, I do believe I'm brave and everything, but vulnerable in a way that's really real. Like, I'm not just saying what you're expecting me to say. Yeah. Like, for example, I speak about a moment in Welcome Home where I'm pushed. I was pushed to think by this new guy that I was seeing. He asked me why, why I had struggled so much to get over a situationship that I was in. He said something like, I I don't understand. Help me understand why you would be in so much pain over a person who clearly, you know, didn't want you. Like why? He's like, you know, for me, if someone doesn't want me, then they don't want me. And I, I don't, 
I'm not in pain over it. I don't want to like chase after them. And I describe how like in that moment, like I just didn't want to answer that question. I'm like, why are you even asking me this? And then (laughs) I talk about how the reason I didn't want to ask it was because I was so afraid of just admitting that I gave myself, like I was disappointing myself on my own. I was so afraid of admitting that I had acted in a way that didn't reflect my true value and worth. Like I I just, I felt like a failure in my own eyes. So I talk about, that's what I mean. Like I, I, I talk about moments like that, that are very real. And it's hard for people to admit that they were thinking that, you know? Yeah. I think it's beautiful because I think it's this invitation to continue coming home, right? Like we don't just arrive and and we're going to face decisions and circumstance and and emotions that are pulling us away from that. It's like that core. Where are you? What does your soul yearn for? What is your heart telling you? What is your intuition guiding you? And I think like so many things, it's like we have to almost be these lifelong students to what that means and what that looks for in different seasons of our lives. If somebody's listening to this and they're like, Mm -hmm. you know, I really struggle with Mm self-acceptance, what would you say as a starting line for them to, one, acknowledge that, but two, start to move past that? Someone who struggles with self-acceptance. So in Welcome Home, I talk about the difference between shallow self-acceptance and deep self-acceptance. And the reason a person might be struggling with self-acceptance is that they are trying to get to that point of shallow self-acceptance, which would be accepting the image or the version of yourself that you believe you need to be. And, and that it doesn't stem from you. The image of who you yeah. believe you need to be is usually you know, ingrained within you from others. Like once you're this, or if you follow these rules and these expectations, meet those expectations, then, you know, then you're okay. And perhaps you're working towards that image and convincing yourself that accepting yourself means accepting that those are the places that you need to be in. But the truth is you're coming further and further away from yourself and it doesn't, it feels more like self-betrayal than it is self-acceptance because you're going in the opposite direction. Instead of going within, you're going without, you're going outwards. Whereas deep self-acceptance means that you sit down with yourself and really ask yourself, who am I authentically on the inside? Deep self-acceptance isn't about creating a version of yourself and then saying, I accept this self of mine. It's about accepting yourself now and accepting without pride. So we have this, you know, the attitude that's just like, I'm me and there's nobody like me. And, uh, you know, I'm better, not better than everybody else. But, you know, that attitude that's out there now, that's like, I don't care about anyone. I, I put myself first. I Just the, the tone of it sounds very much like it's not humble. It, it yeah. comes across as you're trying to project an image of being a strong person, but a strong person doesn't think that way or speak that way. Think of you know, sit with yourself and say, 
authentically speaking, without all the labels around me, without what I look like, without any kind of label that I've placed on myself or the world has placed on me, who am I? And once you come in touch with that inner core of yours and realize that there are no conditions on that, then you can accept that self. But the self that you're trying to accept that is constantly being told, wait a minute, you haven't met this expectation. You're not following this rule. And and I'll give you a practical example because I know this sounds very theoretical. In my life, for example, I, I wore the hijab before. I, I wore it when we did that first interview and I don't mm-hmm. wear it anymore. But on the journey of coming home to myself, which meant I had to accept myself, I had to accept that being a good girl and being a good person and being a good woman and being a good human was not attached to what I wore. For the longest time, I struggled with accepting myself because the truth was I wasn't, I didn't even know who I was. I was trying to be who everyone around me told me I needed to be. But once I I started asking myself, and I talk a lot about this in the clarity room and welcome home, you know, I would imagine standing in front of a mirror and looking at yourself and ask yourself, are you seeing yourself through your own eyes or through the eyes of the world around you? If you could right now, imagine that this, whatever your life looks like, all the rules that you follow, all the expectations you believe you need to meet, all the places you need to be, the way you need to look, all of that. If you were to just, you know, erase it all and have a blank canvas in front of you, what would your life look like? And if that life looks different from the one that you're living, that's why you're struggling so much with self-acceptance. Because your need and urge to accept yourself is conflicting with what you're actually doing with your life with that self of yours. You might be working towards someone that you're actually not. How do you expect yourself to accept yourself while you're working towards being someone else? Accepting yourself is through action. What would this self of mine do right now to feel more like me, right? So again, I brought up the example of the hijab. So I took my hijab off because to me, that wasn't part of the self that I accepted at that moment in life. On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think what's so beautiful about what you just said and where a lot of people stop is in not taking the action, right? Like mm-hmm. we let these things be thoughts or feelings and and you just brought that home with action. Tell me about that. <laughs> 
Well, just like self-love is not just a word that we use, like, oh, it's a spa day, or it's a, just like you say, I love myself. Okay, well, how do you love yourself? If you tell a person, I love you, is it enough that you tell them I love you? Or do you not need to show them your love through action? It's the same thing with self-acceptance. If you're saying, I really want to accept myself, what are you doing to accept that self of yours? Because what that self of yours needs is execution, is for you to resemble it, for the way that you're living your life to resemble it. So for example, you're, you're struggling with accepting yourself and there's something going on in your life where you're not speaking up about it. You're going to struggle with accepting yourself because you are not advocating for that self that you're trying to accept. You're just struggling with an abstract idea out there. As long as you are distant in action from the way, from what feels authentic to you, from what you would ideally be doing with your life if you weren't so bound by all these surroundings of yours and what they want from you and what they expect from you and how they see you, if you were to just execute that ideal self of yours, how you would like to be living your life right now, then that's what leads you bit by bit to accepting yourself. But you can't be accepting a self of yours that doesn't resemble you. It's living a life that doesn't resemble you. It's like, it's like you and then there's like a, a, you know, a dotted line that is just, it only overlaps with half of you. And accepting yourself is bringing that dotted line to just be perfectly over, you know, who you really are. So <laughs> I feel like I could give so many examples. So raising your voice, reflecting on the culture that you live in, you know, culture played a big role in my life, Right culture, religion. I moved out of my parents' home like five years ago, four or five years ago. That's so like huge in my culture because women don't move out of their parents' homes before they're married. And doing that, like if say, as long as I was living at my parents in a place where, you know, that wasn't nurturing my goals, what I was working on, because, you know, I needed that alone time to be writing. And then how am I going to accept myself when I'm choosing to be in an environment that isn't the ideal environment for my true inner self to be? So the action there is doing what I needed on the inside. Does that make sense? Oh, so much sense. And I think this is the perfect segue to just share where people can learn more and hear more of these stories and, and really watch you live out your action through this new book. So Najwa, where can everybody find you, connect with you, get their hands on your new book? Like, this is just the beginning of what's inside. Well, Welcome Home is available wherever books are sold. You can't miss it. The cover has a bird on it with gold feathers. And you can find me on social media. All of my handles are at Nejwa Zabian. And you can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, TikTok, LinkedIn, wherever. Yeah, and I frequently answer DMs. So if anybody wants to reach out to me, 
they're more than welcome to. Oh, you know, round one was amazing. But round (laughs) two, I mean, this was just such a treat. And I'm just so grateful to to be able to witness you and the growth and the impact and the actions you're taking. It's so absolutely inspiring. And so just thank you for the work that you do and for coming back on to have another conversation. It's such a gift. You're so sweet. Thank you so much for having me again. And this felt like two minutes of talking too. (laughs) That's a good sign that we're in the right place. (laughs) Yes, it's a very good sign. And if I could leave everyone who's listening with one question that I get people to contemplate and welcome home is how do you stitch yourself back together with gold? Hmm. What is the gold string that puts your life together? What is it that helps you create this new masterpiece that is you. Just reflect on that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Najwa. What an absolute gift to be able to interview Najwa again and to have been able to just be this observer of her life and change and impact and action over the last few years it's so incredible to think about the journey we've been on and and to think about this idea, this notion of coming home to ourselves. You know, home, the definition of it changed so much over the last year for so many of us as we explored what it looks like to kind of go through all facets of life under one roof. And I love how Najwa talks about this act, this intention of coming home to ourselves. And I think it's a beautiful reminder for us to get quiet enough with ourselves to really figure out what that foundation is, what rooms we invite in and where we're building our homes. I hope you enjoyed this interview just as much as I did. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, for hitting play on this episode today can't even imagine right now what it'll be like after our next 500 episodes, but I feel so, so blessed to be able to get to do this and share it with you. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And thank you for hitting play on today's episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs, 
We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top notch. Article's online only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.